0: Before we start today's episode, we wanted to share a quick message. Six years ago this month, a reporter named Austin Tice, who was freelancing for McClatchy newspapers and other media outlets, was detained while on assignment in Syria. On this anniversary, our One McClatchy Company motto means more to us than ever, as we Out Here in America in the Sun Herald stand firmly with the Tice family and hope for Austin's safe return. Here's his mother, Deborah, describing the battle to bring him home. We never would have imagined that we weren't gonna know anything about where he is or who's holding him. How's that even possible? Across the country this month, McClatchy is raising flags and banners in Austin's honor, helping to bring attention to his plight. You can help, too, by tweeting with the hashtag FreeAustinTice or sharing a Facebook post in his name as we keep Austin in our thoughts today and every day. And now for today's episode. Hey y'all, this is Justin Mitchell from the Sun Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi. And this is Out Here in America. This week, we're going back to college with Austin Gaddis, a former president of Kappa Sigma at the University of Alabama and getting the inside story of being closeted inside one of the most influential fraternities on campus.
1: I I knew that in order for me to have the experience that I really wanted, that the Greek system was what I needed.
0: Years and years of hiding his identity at home in Scottsboro, Alabama, had made Austin feel trapped, and it taught him to try hiding again within one of America's largest Greek systems. And, And I found that I could hide myself more
1: if I took on things like leadership roles, because it allowed me to just be more of the facilitator instead of the star of the show.
0: But there at Alabama, Austin also came to grips with his true identity, and along with other gay men throughout the university's Greek life, became part of an underground dating network that thrived right under his brother's noses.
1: There was this whole subculture of fraternity guys that finally, you know, for the first time, were able to interact without it being by something like word
0: of mouth. Austin lives and works today in Washington, D.C. He sat down in our studio there to talk with me about mothers, brothers, and some of our favorite podcasts while bringing it all back to identity. Stick around on Out Here in America. Listen, I've been listening to Serial in S-Town all week, so I'm about to blow your mind.
1: It's so good. Woodstock, Alabama, great place to visit.
0: I know. I, like, I was listening, and I was like, I could have gone to Woodstock and gone into John B. Macklemore's yeah. Rose Maze and found yeah. all of his gold, and then we'd be rich, and I could be in D.C. right now, but here we, we are. Go. There you
1: go. <laughs> but here we are.
0: <laughs> so, Austin, how long have you been in D.C.? So
1: I just moved to D.C. back in April, actually, and uh, I spent – about five years in Colorado. Before that, I went to law school uh, in Boulder, and before then, I was in Alabama. Grew up there, born and raised there, and and, and went to undergrad there at the University of Alabama.
0: What was it like growing up in your town in the South? Take me back there.
1: Sure, so I'm from a town in northeast Alabama called Scottsboro. If you're familiar with the Scottsboro Boys' Trial. It began with two women and young men and a charge of rape. Scottsboro, an American tragedy. Which, uh, you know, gained some notoriety, uh, a lot of notoriety, you know, international notoriety back in the 1930s. You know, a lot of people credit that event as, you know, one of the first to really start the civil rights movement, the modern day civil rights movement. And so Scottsboro is, you know, it's it's a quaint town of 15,000 people. It's one of those places where you know, people go to the football games on Friday nights and go go to church on Sunday mornings and Scottsboro was always this interesting town that even as I as I saw other areas within the state, I never found somewhere quite like Scottsboro. And you know, it's by no means like Boulder, you know, Colorado, which which I lived in for a couple of years by any means. It's but it's one of those places where you feel that you can go back home.
0: I can relate a lot. I worked at a gas station for 10 years and my coming out story revolves so much around this gas station. These like redneck dudes who are like, you know, you're gay a long time before I would admit that I was gay, but then them being okay with it as I grew up and as I was gay. And it really has kind of helped me like not hide who I am in a way because I didn't come out until college because I was so scared. And then once I did, it was just like, a well, these people knew the whole damn time, you know?
1: Yeah, it's... It's, a, it's such an interesting conversation to have with people. I, I go back and forth as to as how I feel about people saying, well, I always knew, as if there's some sort of stereotype or or perfect mold that all gay men fit in, and, and I, I fundamentally disagree with that. But, but I, I see where they're coming from, and I think with me it was, I felt trapped for a, a long time, and, and I was scared to talk about what I was feeling. Like the world was just crashing in on me for, for so long because I knew in the depths of my mind that I was gay, but I couldn't even admit it to myself internally at that point. And I knew deep down that at some point I would I would have to confront it. But at that point, it wasn't the right time. And, and looking back, I'm glad that I didn't. I, I did have, you know, for all intents and purposes, a boyfriend my senior year of high school. But I was so closeted and I was so scared to admit to myself what I was feeling that we were just two, you know, best friends who really like each other. And and looking back now, it's it's crazy to even say that because he was someone that I, I cared about so much and, and that, you know, the first person that I felt that way about. And to look back and and say that, you know, I had just reduced it to to two best friends who like each other. It's a testament personally of just kind of looking back and saying, this is where you came from and and look where you are now. You know, you've, you've taken, you know, a, a lot of steps along the way, a lot of small steps, but looking back, especially on that experience is encouraging and, and something that I'm proud of.
0: Why do you think you felt trapped for so long at home?
1: Well, my family is very religious. They are, you know, very devout Southern Baptist. I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. I was very involved in my youth group. And I always was exposed to this message of, if you are gay, God does not love you or something is wrong with you. To hear that message that that something is wrong with you and that you have to change if you want to be with the rest of us forever, that's a lot to take in. And you think, well, what is it that's wrong with me? Because I, I pray all the time that, that I will wake up the next morning and not be gay. You know, what, what, what do you have to do? And at that point in time, I always wished that I was straight and I always wished that I didn't have to deal with it. And, and I think now I wouldn't want to be anything but
0: gay. I'll never forget the first text message that I sent to someone in college, like officially coming out, like saying I was gay. It wasn't a close friend. It wasn't someone who knew me forever. It was just this random guy who like I met in school who was also gay. And I was like, yeah, I never told anybody this, but here it is. And when you think, <laughs> when I think about it in those instances, it's just like, wow.
1: Yeah, it's, it's such an interesting thing, especially to meet someone else who is going through something similar. So (laughs) I, I remember there's this one guy who I met through this like Facebook. And I remember finding this one guy through this group and I I met him my senior year of high school. And it became one of those things where we started talking back and forth on, on Facebook and then, you know, ended up texting back and forth. And it came out just kind of implicitly (laughs) along the way
0: that both of us or gay? Yeah, it's just like word vomit. Tell me about your first coming out story. Well, it wasn't a text at TGI Fridays. <laughs> <You're
1: right>. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and I would say my coming out story with my family isn't the best. You know, they my my parents are deeply religious and they view me as someone who is wayward or is living in sin. You know, my my mom has come a long way. So I I came out to her back in 2012. And it was an awful conversation, a lot of tears. And she felt like she had failed.
0: Does it hurt you that your relationship has changed with your mom? Were you expecting that?
1: Yeah, I was expecting it. And, And of course, it hurts. And I think what I've learned from having these conversations with my mom is, I've learned how to talk about my identity and, and who I am. You know, I've learned how to defend myself and, and not apologize for who I am. But I've also learned to approach it with compassion. And that's something that I, I feel like I'm a better person because of. You know, I I as I said, I love my mom and, and I and I know that she loves me and I know that we'll get through it. But I think it's something that, you know, that a lot of moms struggle with, you know, not even you know, not just in the South, you know, everywhere. But I, I think especially in places like the rural South where the entire cultural pressures around you, all of them, say that, you know, you're gonna have to deal with this for the rest of your life. And and I think it becomes one of those things of, well, what are my friends going to say at church? And, you know, what are my friends at work going to think? You know, it has a way of making you question yourself and and making you ashamed to be different. And and, and so I, I I think that Talking to my mom about about these sorts of things is healthy. It's it's not something that we do, admittedly, super often at this point. But they're important conversations, and and I and I see her growth every time that it uh, that, that that we have one.
0: Was finding your identity and being able to talk to your mom so openly about who you are? Did you find a lot of that in college at Alabama and Tuscaloosa?
1: Yeah, college is one of those places where you find out obviously so much about yourself, but you also find out a lot about the type of people that you want to associate with. The rush process for the Greek system there is is really unlike any other. For guys, it's an open rush season that typically begins in April. You know, you're a senior in high school and and going to rush parties. And as soon as my mom would let me, you know, which, which, which was my junior year of high school, I was going down for rush parties.
0: Oh my God, do you remember your first rush party? Tell me everything.
1: I think my first rush party was you know, what you would expect it to be. It was people at a bar and girls kind of everywhere. And uh, the brothers were there, the people who were there in town that summer. It became one of those things where for for really two years, I guess more specifically, I guess about a year and a half, so halfway through my junior year, all the way through my senior year, where we would go down to Tuscaloosa a lot. Because so much of campus identity is wrapped up in the Greek system, it just became something That I, you know, if I was going to be at Alabama, of course I was going to rush. And I feel like going down and beginning the rush process was a way for me to just not have to deal with what I was feeling because it always kept me preoccupied. I I knew it would, it would be something that would take up a lot of time for me. And the Greek system was what I needed.
0: You were never worried about like someone finding out?
1: That fear was always there. I did everything I could to mask any sort of indication that that I was gay you know I you know was really conscious about how I spoke and how I carried myself and you know had girlfriends and did everything that I could to blend in with my pledge brothers and the people who were my age but so much about what Greek life stands for in general, but especially that Greek life stands for at Alabama is the Greek houses have this ability to reinforce in a lot of negative ways, the notions of patriarchy and toxic masculinity. And I I took a lot of pains to just really, you know, not stand out, especially when I was a pledge, because I was, I was terrified that, you know, that someone would find out that that I'm gay and and I would be dropped, and so it was it was really important for me to be initiated before I let my guard down even a little bit. And even at that point, after I was initiated, I did everything that I could to to make sure that that no one would find out.
0: So you just played the game. Yeah,
1: I played the game, and and I enjoyed being around a bunch of guys all the time. Uh, I enjoyed the the social aspect of it. I was elected president of the fraternity my junior year, and I loved it, and And that was another way that I could just focus all of my energy on everyone else so that no one would focus on me.
0: <laughs> did, you, did you find yourself in a healthy state doing that? Not at all, and that
1: is what led to me coming out when I did.
0: So when you moved into the house, mm-hmm. were there ever moments that you may have felt uncomfortable or nervous or thought, oh man,
1: I thought it would be a problem living there because taking showers all you know all in kind of the same area and and, and I remember thinking I'm going to have to be 100% on 100% of the time and and I can't slip up. And, and and I feel like at that point it it was such a routine way for me to carry myself that I was able to do it, and, and I lived in the fraternity house for two and a half years, and so it became another way that I could distract myself and not have to show my hand. I found myself doing everything that I could to you know, go over and hang out at friends' places. It, it was one of those things where I, I was about to explode, that because I had this constant pressure to
0: hide who I was yeah surely you could have been the only kappa sick who was gay <laughs> I mean no
1: I you know found out several several years later compared to when I first got on campus so my junior year you know I found out that you know another brother in the house was also gay and um, it's so funny because on demand kind of hookup culture coincided with me being in undergrad and in there on campus in Tuscaloosa And I remember logging on Grindr in in some of those earlier days and it was one of the first times though that I realized that that this is such an issue that in a system of 10 or 11,000
0: people, no
1: one, not one person
0: is openly gay in
1: this entire system.
0: Was using Grinder and, and like other hookup apps, was that kind of like part of this underground gay frat system or how did it work for you? I'm really curious.
1: It became that. I, I remember we had for a while this service called College ACB, essentially an anonymous message board. And I remember it being a big deal by freshman year. And I remember one of the articles talked about rumored gay guys in the Greek system, and you know, I, I was a pledge at this point, and did everything I could to stay out of every spotlight. So, thankfully, I did not make the list. But Ugh. thankfully,
0: <laughs> hashtag blessed,
1: right? And but I remember that, and I remember thinking for those guys, I can't imagine how how difficult it was.
0: Would you say though that your overall experience in Greek life at Alabama was a good experience?
1: I would. I learned a lot about myself. And the experience that I had while Greek prior to coming out and the experience that I had while Greek after coming out, it, it, it was a great journey. It was not one that was easy. And I was really discouraged from accepting myself at a lot of different turns. And and I second-guessed myself a lot. But after I came out and the experience that I had there, it really confirmed for me and gave me that sense of community that I wanted coming into it. I wanted to blend in with this community and hide, but I ended up becoming a leader on campus, a leader in the Greek system, a leader within my house, and I became that being my authentic self and being wholly who I was in every way. So it wasn't easy, but I would say that I'm glad I had the experience.
0: If current real life Austin could tell college freshman Austin one thing, what would it be? Trust your friends. You're going to have a lot of
1: difficult times in the years ahead of you, but the friends that you surround yourself with are incredibly supportive and you should trust them more. You should not be afraid to live your true identity, like be who you are, because That's what makes you special and that's what allows you to blossom as a person because you're a big ball of energy that's that's just sitting there waiting for someone to tell you that it's okay to be who you are and do it sooner rather than later. I think that's what I would say.
0: Why did you leave the South? What, What made you want to leave?
1: I wanted to live somewhere where I could go and I could be who I was right out of the door and I found boulder to be this incredibly calming and beautiful place and i wanted to go somewhere that was that was liberal or i thought it would be hard for me to do that in places where i had associated with you know being closeted or being contained or sad and so i i wanted a new beginning and i wanted the opportunity to to start fresh I feel that it's, it's so important for me to continue to grow and continue to learn about who I am and, and continue to discover myself and, and before I go back to somewhere like Alabama. Because I, I feel like I will go back eventually. But right now, I've got a lot, more, a lot more growing to do. I've got a lot more to learn. It's not the time just
0: yet. Thanks to Austin Gaddis for sitting down with me and Amanda McCoy, Jordan-Marie Smith, and Davin Coburn for producing this episode of Out Here in America. We'll be back in two weeks with more stories like this. But in the meantime, subscribe to Out Here in America on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite shows. Leave us a review. And we'll see y'all soon on Out Here in America.